0: In the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit on god amen tonight we'll continue our bible study we are in psalm 71 before we finished from verse 1 to 13 we will start from verse 14 tonight in this psalm, actually in the previous verses david actually spoke about his enemies like in verse 10 for my enemies speak against me and those who lie in wait for my life take counsel together saying god has forsaken him pursue and take him for there is none to deliver him then david is praying and saying "O god do not be far from me O my god make haste to help me let them be confounded and consumed who are adversaries of my life let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek my heart." So that is the context. David actually was attacked by his enemies, like King Saul, like Absalom his son, like Achitophel, like Shammah son of Gera, etc. And as we said before, this son was written in his old age. At, toward the end of his old age, toward the end of his life, as we read in verse 9, Do not cast me off in the time of old age do not forsake me when my strength fails so let's start from verse 14 but i will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more so even with the reproachful view of the people david puts his hope in god Continually, Although people reproach him, but his trust in God. He now stirs himself up to praise and thanksgiving, even in the time of tribulation. He will never cease to hope. He will praise God more and more. He will trust in God. Whatever may be the number, the power, the confidence of his enemies, he continually trusts in God. None of these things shall make him despair, for as long as he has God, he has every ground for hope. That's why he said, I will hope continually, not only when I am afflicted by my enemies, but all the time. St. Augustine says, remarks that God's justice deserves all praise, even were he to condemn all mankind and if God condemned all mankind that is justice but seeing that God did not condemn us but rather he has shown us mercy that's why we add that praise to the glory of his name وَأَزِيدُ عَلَى كُلِّ تسبيحك وَأَزِيدُ عَلَى كُلِّ so St. Augustine try to explain why we will increase, why we will add for his praise. So he said, all of us, we were worthy of death. We were worthy of eternal condemnation. God said to Adam, if you eat from this tree, you shall surely die. And all of us, we were in the loins of Adam. So if all of us, We're condemned, all of us, with no exception. God is just, God is right, He is worthy of praise. But knowing that God did not condemn us, but He made a plan for our salvation. And this plan was that the Son of God becomes man and carry our sins and dies on the cross in order to give us free salvation free entrance into eternal life that's why i will praise you yet more and more your justice is worthy of all praise what about now with your mercy that you showed us that's why i will praise you yet more and more that's how Saint augustine explained it verse 15 my mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day, for I do not know their limits. So he's saying, my mouth will declare your righteousness. Righteousness from the word right. Things are done right. So your righteousness, your justice, and your salvation. Salvation reflects the mercies of God, because we were saved. Because of the abundance of his mercy. All the day I will declare your righteousness and your salvation. For I do not know their limits. There is no limit for your righteousness. And no limit for your salvation. So the righteousness with which God punishes the wicked. And salvation through which through the salvation God frees and saves the innocent. All day long means constantly, I will declare your righteousness and your salvation constantly. But salvation here means both temporal here on earth and eternal, the eternal salvation. And the glory of both and the praise for the same. So we glorify God for both and we praise him for both. David, as we read in verse 14, he declares that he will praise God more and more. Now in verse 15, his mouth will continue to tell of God's righteousness. Unfortunately, us, when we go through difficult time or when we suffer, this causes us to doubt God's righteousness. But David was happy to testify both the righteousness of God, and the salvation of God, and to do so all day long. He felt that the entire day is needed. Why? Because he did not know the limits of God's righteousness and salvation. That's why he said, all the day. Why all the day? Because less than this will be short of telling about the righteousness of God, and the salvation of God because I do not know their limits. Since I don't know the limits of your righteousness and your salvation, that's why every single moment of the day is needed to praise God for his righteousness and for his salvation. And this is also the voice of all of us, the voice of the Church, the Bride of Christ. That's why St. Paul said, about Jesus Christ. He is the righteousness and the salvation as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So Jesus is the wisdom, the righteousness, the sanctification and redemption which means salvation. Also Do you remember when Simeon the priest carried Jesus Christ? He said what? For my eyes have seen your salvation. By seeing Christ, I have seen your salvation. And there are many interpretations about the word all the day. What does it mean all the day? So according to some, all the days mean Day represents prosperity, and the night represents sorrow. So all the day means in prosperity and in sorrow. In both situations, I will praise God. Or may mean literally day and night, because the night serves the day, and not the day serves the night. And we get rest at night, so we can function on the day. Another interpretation, the night is our flesh and the day is righteousness, so whatever done in the flesh, carnal is of night, but the deeds of righteousness of the light belong to the day. There is also another meaning that all the day means all light, because It is the everlasting praise of Christ because in Christ there is no darkness at all. Verse 16, I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will go, I will continue my life in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness, of yours only. No other righteousness, your righteousness only. So, looking forward, although he wrote this in his very old age, but looking forward, the psalmist is confident in God's strength despite the sins of diminished personal strength with advancing year. But he says, Yes, I will continue the rest of my life in the strength of the Lord God. In Arabic, He will attribute his deliverance to no strength or effort or righteousness of his own. It's not because my effort, my righteousness, my strength, my wisdom, my intelligence, my gifts. No. Everything he owed to God's righteousness. So, he will adhere entirely to God's omnipotence in the strength of God, in the power of God, he will confide, and he will hide himself in it, as he would in a secure fortress. That's why he will mention only the righteousness of God. So the psalmist is saying that he will not consider any human counsel or his own strength, but he will remember and bear in mind one thing only, the righteousness of God, of yours only. By virtue of which, by the virtue of this righteousness, God keeps his promises to us. And through his righteousness, he punishes the wicked and crowns the godly. Verse 17. O God, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. So David declares that we don't know or comprehend the sum of God's righteousness. As he said, there is no limit to your righteousness or to your salvation. Who are we to think that we understand the plan or the economy of God? Who are we to think that we know what is fair and just? Many times say, this is unfair. Why God allow this? Who are we to think that we know what's fair and just and what is not in our lives, when we don't have the full knowledge that God has. If we don't have the same knowledge, how can we judge what God is doing is fair or just or not? All virtues and all grace to God, but all evil, sinfulness, we attribute it to ourselves. As Saint Paul said, by the grace of God I am what I am—it's through His grace only, not through any strength. First Corinthians fifteen ten. Also, for if anyone thinks himself to be something, if he believes that you are something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Galatians six verse three. So, if you believe that you are something, although in reality we are nothing, everything we have is a blessing from God then you are deceiving yourself. In Romans 10 verse 3, St. Paul spoke about Israel and said about them, ignorant of God's righteousness, seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. That's why they were stumbled. Because they did not seek the righteousness of God, they were seeking their own righteousness. David, verse 17, he said that God guided him from his youth. Oh God, you have taught me from my youth. So God has guided and instructed David from his earliest life. God taught him to trust in the power of God. Do you remember when he was just a young youth, a shepherd, with no weapons, with no arms? He fought a bear and a lion and conquered both of them He fought giant Goliath, and he killed him. So, from his youth he learned to trust in God's confidence. It was something that benefited him to his older years. He remembered what God had done with him in his youth, now he's carrying this in his older years. That's why he will declare the wonderful works of God, because God had done so many things for him in his young age. And as the psalmist saw God's wondrous works and had an experience of them, he declared them to others for their encouragement and also to glory God. When I I experience God's power in my life, I like to share it with others for two reasons, to encourage others as well as to give glory to God. St. Augustine asks when when David said, you have taught me from my youth. So St. Augustine asks, what has God taught him? He answers, that of your righteousness alone I ought to be mindful. So what did he learn? David learned that he should be mindful only of God's righteousness. For reviewing David's past life, He saw what was owing to him and what he has received instead of that was owing to him. Now he is speaking about all of us. There was owing punishment. All of us, we own punishment. And God actually gave us grace instead of the punishment. There was owing hell, but there has been given life eternal. So that's what David learned, and that's what we need to learn. We were under sentence of death, but God gave us eternal life. We should be condemned to hell, but God gave us salvation. So David had declared God's wondrous work by public praise. He had done it by his writing in the book of Psalms. He had done it by maintaining and defending the truth. And also, when David said, you have taught me from my youth, this actually displays stability and consistency in his life. What he learned in his his youth, he carried until his old age. Verse 17 also can be applied to Christ. Christ is speaking to the Father. So Christ is saying to God the Father, you have taught me from my youth. And to this day, I declare your wondrous works. Because we read in John chapter 8 verse 28, As my father taught me, I speak these things. That's what Jesus said. Also, the church can address her groom, Christ. And the church says to Christ, What you have taught me from my youth, from the apostles' era, I'm carrying until now. Also, the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 7, verse 19, He said, My doctrine is not mine, but His, the Father's, who sent me. So, He is affirming that the Father taught Him. And also, it is the voice of the Church. You have taught me, referring to all the gifts that God gave to the Church as her teacher. And that's why the Lord told us, do not be called the teachers. For one is your teacher, the Christ. He taught us. Verse 18. Now also when I am old, that's why I told you he wrote this psalm in his old age. Now also when I am old and grey-headed, O God, do not forsake me, until I declare your restraints to this generation, Your power to everyone who is to come. So he's saying, Why I want you not to leave me? For one reason to praise you, to declare this generation your strength and also your power to everyone who is to come. So David prayed for the continued presence of God so that he could declare God's strength to a new generation not for his own sake, but again for the glory of God. In his old age and gray-headed, he does not lean upon his long experience, nor upon his wisdom, or popularity, or material prosperities, or temporal authorities, he was the king, but he remains leaning upon God and asks God not to forsake him. He did not say, in my old age, I have experience now, I have money, I have power, I am the king, I have everything, so I will speak to people from my experience. No. He said, don't leave me, because I want to declare your strength to this generation. So this, like a repetition in verse 9, as I told you in verse 9, he said, Don't cast me off in the time of old age, do not forsake me when my strength fails. But now in verse 18, he is saying why he is asking God not to forsake him. For a reason. He calls on God to sustain him in his old age, not for his own sake, but that he may impress on the rising generation God's might and marvelous acts. He wants to teach. This generation and generation to come about God, for the glory of God. Some scholars take it of the coming of Antichrist in the last times, when the faith of this church has become weak. So as if the church is saying, toward the end of the days, so the church be like old and grey-headed, so the church that is now old and grey-headed, And as St. Paul said, before the coming of Christ, there will be apostasy falling away. Many people deny the faith, so the Church will be weak. So as if the Church is saying, when I am old and grey-headed before the coming of the Antichrist, O God, do not forsake us until the Church declares your strength to this generation and your power to everyone who is to come. St. Augustine says, God's might is Christ, do not let them rejoice, those who say Christianity will only be for some time. Let there be someone to declare your might to all generations to come. So as if the church said, God, don't let those who will say Christianity will disappear, don't let them rejoice, keep us in order to declare your name and your mind to the generations to come, namely to the end of the world, as once it is the end of the world, there would be no generation to come. And once the world end, ended, there is no generations to come anymore. Verse 19, Also, your righteousness, O God, is very high. You who have done great things, O oh God, who is like you. So David continues to describe the righteousness of God and praise him for this attribute. He explains the meaning of the showing forth God's power to the generation that's to come. So what would he say to the generations to come? He will speak about the righteousness of God that is very, very hard he will announce the power of God that's united with his justice. God is all-powerful. God also is very just. He can do what he wills, but he wills nothing unjust. Some people, when they are very powerful, they become corrupt. Unchecked power equal corruption. But God, although he is a mighty, all-powerful, but he is very righteous. He will not do anything that is unjust. He is not abusing the power like people when they abuse their power. His righteousness includes his faithfulness. God is faithful in fulfilling his divine promises. And his righteousness is very high, reaches the heaven, as his mercy and truth and faithfulness, also they are very high, as we read in Psalm 36, verse 5. God's power is shown in his setting man free. He used his power not against us, not to destroy us, but he used his power to deliver us and to set us free. His righteousness in causing his son to die for us, so we become free. So the surpassing righteousness and power of God made David ask, Oh God, who is like you? Who is like you, who has all this power, but you chose to die in order to save us? Who is like you? It is according to St. Augustine the cry of Adam. For Adam had sinned by tasting of the fruit. The serpent told him, in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's what the serpent said to Adam or to Eve. And had thereby lost the likeness which he had before, as being made in the image and likeness of God fathers differentiate between the image and likeness they said we are in the image of God in three things we are eternal as God eternal we are intellectual as God intellectual and we have free will as God also has free will and when we were created, we were created in the image which means Intellectual, eternal, with free will, and also in the likeness, which means pure. But when we fell, we did not lose the image, because we are still eternal, and have free will, and intellectual. But what would we lose the likeness? So Jesus came to restore us to his likeness again to be in his likeness again. And what we do here in repentance and with good works is to be back in the likeness of God. That's what St. Augustine said. It is a cry of Adam because Adam after he sinned actually the serpent deceived him. The serpent said to even Adam, you will be like God. But in reality when Adam sinned He lost the likeness of God He did not become like God He lost the the likeness of God Because originally we were created in the image and likeness of God But God actually saved us to restore us to the likeness That's why He said this is the cry of Adam when God saved him Your righteousness O God is very high You who have done great things O God who is like you. Verse 20. You who have shown me great and severe troubles, shown means allowed me to go through great and severe troubles, shall revive me again. Yes, you allowed me to go through these severe and great troubles, but you will revive me again and bring me up again from the depth of the earth. So you have shown me great and severe troubles, meaning you caused us to see, you allowed us to experience great trials. Great, why great in their varieties and bitterness. Some speaking of David outward he was persecuted by King Saul, by his family, by Amnon his son, the murder of Amnon by Absalom the Absalom rebellion against David the curse of Shemai son of Gera that is the outward trials but many and they very bitter and some inward arising from the corruption of the heart like when David killed and committed adultery the hiding of God's face and God's grace at the temptation of Satan David understood that all these things when God's hand, God allowed it, and that if he had experienced great and severe troubles, actually that was shown to him or was allowed by God. God allowed these things. But as God allowed great and severe trouble, David consoled himself in his present trouble by the fact of having escaped through God's assistance from other tribes. Can you imagine King, like King Saul, with all the armies chasing one person, King David, and he couldn't kill him. How come it is the grace of God? So, yes, God has shown David great and severe troubles, and he will also show David great mercies. The same God could revive us and bring us up again from the depths of the earth. David's trust in God was unshakable and make us wonder sometimes how could David have this kind of strength all of his life through all the tragedies and suffering that he endured. Also, this psalm can be understood of Christ, as if Christ is saying to the Father, you have shown me great and severe troubles, when he emptied himself, became man, has no place to lie his head, the crucifixion, and the trials, and the humiliation, and the death. But you shall revive me again, that's the resurrection, and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. So this and the preceding verse can be applied to his resurrection from the dead, as St. Paul explained, in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 9, the mean he ascended mean he descended into the depth of the earth. And also can be applied to the resurrection of the saints. All of us who can say to God, like the twenty-one martyrs, you have shown me great and severe troubles, but in the last day you shall revive me again and bring me up again from the depth of the earth. So the saints, on which the faith of Christ and his people is applied. According to St. Augustine, revive me again and bring me up again from the depth of the earth is to be understood of wretchedness of mankind after the fall. So, depth of the earth, the corruption, the misery, the curse that we were in it after the fall, and revive us the bounty of God in lifting it up from the depth of sin, lifting up the humanity from the depth of sin, by the message of salvation and giving us new life in Christ Verse 21 You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side beautiful تزيد عظمتي وترجع فتعزيني So verse 21 it's not just a prayer, it is a confident proclamation about what God will do to us. Though he was older in years, gray-headed, he still expected that God would increase his greatness and continue his comfort. David now predicts not only his delivery from the power of Absalom his son, but blessings, glory, comfort, more than he asks for. And beyond what he seeks. As we say in the Gregorian liturgy, you give us more than what we understand or what we ask. As a king, David grew in influence and power after the end of the rebellion of Absalom. So this was fulfilled literally increase my greatness. And I like the word comfort me on every side. It denotes the abundance of comfort which should come as it were, from every side and embrace him. So as if comfort is embracing David from every side. That's what God actually does with all of us. Verse 22, Also with the lute, I will praise you and your faithfulness, O my God, to you I will sing with the harp, O Holy One of Israel. So David, after predicting his delivery, from the power of Absalom, not only his delivery but that God will increase his greatness he promises all manner of thanksgiving in his heart with his lips and with all sorts of musical instruments so he will praise God with every possible way it would be a song celebrating God for what he has done for his faithfulness, for who he is O Holy One of Israel. So this praise for the works of God, what he has done, and for who he is, O Holy One of Israel. And the Holy One of Israel, this is the first time that this title of God occurred in the book of Psalm, in Psalm 71. Although it is common in the prophets, particularly in Isaiah, Holy One of Israel. And as it is one of the very Last of his Psalms, because as I told you, he wrote it toward the end of his life, it looks forward to the universal kingdom of Christ. So when he said, I will praise you and your faithfulness of God to you, I will sing with the harp, O Holy One of Israel, as if he is looking for the universal kingdom of Christ that Christ will establish in his second coming. The conjunction of the Sultry and Harp, lute and Harp, seems to imply that the praise of which David here speaks is to be public praise in the sanctuary, because nobody will praise God just in his inner room by harp and and lute. So this means I will praise you publicly in the temple, accompanied by the usual sacred music. St. Augustine points out that the main difference between the sultry and harp, the lute and harp, is that the former has the hollow sounding board placed above the strings and the latter has, has it below. So the, the flute actually has the hollow sounding. They put this above the harp that has strings. so. I think for, for sacred music, is like the trumpet has a higher place than stringed instrument, and because the spirit is from above, flesh from the earth, there seem to be signified the sultry represents the spirit and the harp represent the flesh. And that's what Saint Augustine said. So when he said here with the lute, I will praise you, means with my flesh, with my body, like prostration, fasting, I will praise you. And you, I will sing with harp, sorry, with lute my with my spirit, I praise you, and with the harp, O Holy One, I will praise you with my flesh. So I will praise you with my spirit and my flesh together. Uh, verse 23, My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you, and my soul, which you have redeemed. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you, and my soul also greatly rejoice which you have redeemed. So he will not only thank and praise the Lord with the harp and the psaltery, but his mouth shall send forth its notes the mouth when i sing to you and my soul his life soul represent life which you have redeemed shall also praise you so this means his whole body heart and spirit delivered from danger will join in the glad thanksgiving most scholars agree in seeing here the union Of the bodily and spiritual praise of God. As I told you, flesh and spirit. And the harmony of will and deed. Of heart and life. When the body is subdued to the spirit, obeys its rule with gladness. So the spirit wants to praise God. So when the flesh submits to the spirit, then the whole person will praise the Lord. As we sing in Kiyak, we say, My heart and my tongue praise the Trinity. Qalb wa So in this verse, we can see the union of the bodily and spiritual praises, harmony of will and deed, heart and life. Because when the body, the flesh, is subdued to the spirit, it obeys the spirit and praising God with gladness. Saint Augustine explains that the lips may not express what is inside man One may smile, yet his smile does not reveal an inner peace or a rejoicing soul So sometimes we smile, but from within we are bitter Saint Augustine says, because lips are not possible to speak of both belonging to the inner and the outward man it is uncertain in what sense lips have been used. Therefore he followed, and my soul which you have redeemed. So, Saint Augustine says, if he says, my lips shall glitter rejoice when I sing to you. Period. We may doubt. Maybe the lips are praising, but the soul from within is bitter, or doesn't want to praise. But he added, and my soul which you have redeemed, To say that the lips that are praising God is a reflection of the soul that's also praising the Lord. That's why he did not stop after the word lips. He added, my soul. The last verse, 24. My tongue also shall talk of your righteousness all the day long. For they are confounded. For they are brought to shame who seek my heart. So it is not once or twice that his tongue talk of the righteousness of God, but as he said all day long, my tongue also shall talk of your righteousness all day long. At all times, he shall meditate with chanting the praises of God's justice. Why? Because his enemies are confounded. Those who brought shame, those who seek to hurt David, they are brought to shame. That's why he is praising God. The word talk means properly to meditate and to denote here fullness of heart and language naturally flowing out from a full soul. So when he said my tongue also shall talk of your righteousness. بالعربية مش يتكلم بالعربي يلهج يلهج ببرق. بس في الإنجليزي there is no word to catch the same meaning. يلهج. عشان كده the, the original word in, in Hebrew that's translated in English talk and in Arabic يلهج. The original word doesn't mean just a person who is speaking but means a person meditating and speaking from the fullness of his heart. Language flowing out from a full soul. Also, some scholars interpret all day long the everlasting day of eternity. In eternal life, the whole eternity will be praising God, during which the song of the redeemed shall ever ascend before the throne of God when the enemies of our souls have been confounded and brought to everlasting shame. So we can say this about eternal life. In, in heaven, my tongue also shall talk of your righteousness all eternity. Because Satan and our enemies, the, the demons, are confounded. Because Satan and his soldiers are brought to shame those who seek our hurt so the psalm often conclude in this way, they begin in trouble and most of, of David's psalms start in trouble, confessing his trouble and conclude by praising the Lord because of his confidence. So most of the psalms begin in trouble and the end in joy, begin in darkness, the end in light, begin in disheartened and depressed mind, the end with triumphant spirit, Begin with prayer, the end with praise. This concludes Psalm 71. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.